in the book of Ezra, chapter 9, I want to look at verse 8 and 9 this morning and talk to you about a statement that Ezra makes in verse 8 about a little reviving. Talk to you this morning about a little reviving that Ezra mentions in verse 8. But let's read verse 8 and 9 of Ezra chapter 9, and then look to the Lord in a word of prayer so that God will bless our time together this morning. It says, And now for a little space grace hath been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in his holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. For we were bondmen, yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage, but hath extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us a reviving, to set up the house of our God and to repair the desolations thereof and to give us a wall. I didn't know that we could get into the wall situation through the Bible, but I guess there's support biblically for the wall. Or at least you could take it that way. And give us a wall in Judah and in Jerusalem. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we approach your throne in the name of Jesus Christ. So thankful for the salvation that you've given us through your Son. And Father, again, it's the heartbeat of this ministry that everyone in here this morning knows Jesus Christ personally as their Savior. We pray that if someone is uncertain of their eternal destiny, they, they're uncertain of their relationship with Jesus Christ, that even this morning your Holy Spirit would work in their heart and draw them to you. And Father, as your children look into your word, I pray that you would give us understanding in the Scriptures. Holy Spirit, that you would guide us into all truth that you would work in our hearts as only you can, strengthening us and supporting us, encouraging us, exhorting us, and Father, where needed, correcting us. So Father, again, Holy Spirit, work in our midst. May the Lord Jesus Christ be glorified. And Father, may we be very careful to give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise for what you're going to do. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. As much as many of you know, the nation of Israel went into captivity because of disobedience to God. And the nation of Israel, specifically Judah, was in captive for approximately 70 years because one of the commands of God was every seven years they needed to let the land rest. And for approximately 490 years, they did not follow that command. And so 7 into 490 is 70. And so there you get the 70 years that they were held in captive because God said He wanted the land to rest every seven years. Uh, Judah did not do what God commanded. And believe me, when God says something, God's going to do it. And even if we don't obey, if we disobey, God can come through even in our disobedience and make sure things are done His way. That's the great thing about our God. The thing that we need to do is make sure that we're in obedience with God so that instead of going into captivity or having uh, the judgment of God on our lives, we can have the blessings of God in our lives. But Ezra is uh, 
chosen by God to lead a remnant, as verse 8 says, lead a remnant back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And this came under the King Cyrus of that day. God led him to choose Ezra to take a remnant back to Jerusalem so that the temple could be rebuilt. And that's exactly what happened. And this was during a time of devastating captivity. But during this time of coming back, certain of the Jews followed Ezra to go back from their captivity and to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. During this time, Ezra writes these words that we just read. And I find in these two verses uh, a principle uh, that will help you and I, a thought process, I can say, or a principle that will help you and I as children of God have a little reviving, have a little reviving. And the first thing I want to share with you this morning, as Ezra dictates in verse 8 of chapter 9, is you and I, first and foremost, need to appreciate our situation. We need to appreciate our situation. No matter what we may think, mercy and grace has been applied to our lives. No matter where you might be, and things may be rough, things may be difficult, things may not be going the way that you specifically would want them to go, but regardless of our thought process, regardless of our perception and where we are in life, my friends, God's grace and mercy has been applied to our lives and to our family and to our ministry. There are those that are much worse than what we are in our life. And in fact, things could easily be worse than what we have right now. And that's not discounting what people are going through. But God's mercy and God's grace has been bestowed upon all of our lives. And we need to be thankful for that. We need to appreciate that and appreciate our situation because all of us could have easily been destroyed for our disobedience. Just like the nation of Israel. God could have easily destroyed the nation of Israel. And as he told Moses... Let me just get rid of all these people, and I will raise up a nation through Moses. He could have easily destroyed Israel. He could have easily destroyed Judah and raised up a nation through Ezra, through Nehemiah, through Zerubbabel, through other men of God. But he didn't because he showed the nation of Israel, he showed the nation of Judah mercy and grace and he's shown that to us today. Praise the Lord for that. And we should rejoice in the mercy and grace that God has bestowed upon us and ask God on a daily basis for his mercy and grace. But we find here five episodes of grace that Ezra shows us in verse 8 and 9. And the first one is that, and now for a little space in verse 8, God hath shown from the Lord our God, to leave us a remnant to escape. God had preserved a remnant of the nation of Israel. And as you look at the history of the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, as you know, they were split after Solomon. God has always had a remnant 
that believed in him were following him and that he could work through. And that's because of God's grace and God's mercy, that there was a remnant. And I believe there'll be a remnant in the United States of America as socially and politically we veer off to the left, even though we might be in a little bit of a respite at this time. Generally speaking, the tides that turn are taking us to the left, but I believe there will be a remnant left, a people left that are saved, on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ, attempting to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, attempting to live by the principles and standards of the Word of God, even though the nation and the whole world is going in the opposite direction. And may you and I be a part of that group, my friends. May we be a part of that group. But God had preserved a remnant in verse 8. Not only did He preserve a remnant in verse 8 that demonstrated the grace of God, but it goes on to say, and to give us a nail in his holy place. This depicts security and stability. Not a nail outside of the holy place. Not a nail nearby the holy place. But a nail inside the holy place demonstrates that there is security and stability in our Savior, Jesus Christ, and that's because of His grace and His mercy. For by Ephesians 2.8, for by grace are ye saved through faith. It's by God's grace, by God's grace, by God's grace that we become children of God through faith. And that through Jesus Christ, we have salvation, we have security, and we have stability that's because of God's grace and mercy on our lives. And praise the Lord for that. Not only is there a remnant that demonstrates the grace of God, not only uh, were the nation of Israel a nail in His holy place, but it goes on to say that God, that our God may lighten our eyes. This is giving new life, new joy, and the dawning of a new day. Because realize these people that were coming back to Jerusalem as led by Ezra were coming from captivity. And so this was like new life to them, a new joy, the dawning of a new day, because years prior to this, uh, all they thought about, you know how people will ask you in an interview, well, where do you see yourself in five years? Where do you see yourself in ten years? They'll ask you that in an interview sometimes. Well, five years ago, if you were to interview these people that came with Ezra and even Ezra himself and say in five years where do you see yourself in 10 years where do you see yourself they would have said in captivity but now as God led through King Cyrus he had lightened their eyes gave them new life new joy a dawning of a new day they're not captive anymore they're going home they're going to rebuild the temple uh, reestablish the sacrificial system that's given in the law that points people to the ultimate sacrifice, which is Jesus Christ. I mean, this is wonderful. This is God's grace and mercy because they did not deserve it. But God's given it to them. And then he goes on to say in verse 8, which we're going to take our text from in just a little bit, and give us a little reviving in our bondage. It's like a resurrection from the dead. We as children of God are born again through Jesus Christ. Our spirit is made alive through what we call the regeneration process of the Holy Spirit of God. 
we were once dead spiritually, now we are made alive through Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit regenerates us at the time of salvation. And so spiritually, we cannot die because we are made alive in Jesus Christ. It's nothing that we did except place our faith in Him. The work of regeneration, the work of new life, the work of a new birth, the work of being born again is all dependent on Jesus Christ. But reviving is when you're almost dead. And you bring that person back to life. You bring them back to life. And Ezra is saying here, in verse 8, a little reviving. And it's by God's grace and God's mercy that we can even have a little reviving. And then drop down to verse 9, uh, yeah, verse nine, where the fifth aspect of God's grace that is seen is in that wall that I was talking about. The last phrase of verse 9, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. And that talks about God's protection that God has given his people. And my friends, there's no protection better than the protection of God Almighty. We can have an alarm system, we can have guns, uh, we can have patrols, all of that, and there's nothing wrong, in my opinion, with any of that, but protection comes from God. Protection comes from God. Now, some people don't agree with how all this happened with the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. Well, they're not certain that God's grace and God's mercy was bestowed upon the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. I want you to take your Bibles to Nehemiah, which is just one book ahead. Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 33 to share with you how God was gracious, God was merciful, and the nation of Israel, they were the wicked ones. They were the ones that disobeyed. They were the ones that brought the judgment upon themselves. It says in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 33, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 33, How be it thou, speaking of God, how be it thou art just in all that is brought upon us, for thou hast done right, but we have done wickedly. God is always just in what he does. No matter what people might think, no matter what perception that we might have in the situation, God is good, God has done right, and will always do right. Abraham said of God, shall not the judge of the whole world do right? And the answer to that question is yes. He has done right, is doing right, and will always do right, because we are the ones that have done wickedly. We, have, we are the ones that have disobeyed. And if, if truly, without God's grace and without God's mercy being bestowed upon our lives, my friends, we would all be consumed and utterly destroyed if not for His grace and His mercy. And so if we fight this thought process of appreciating our situation, thinking that we deserve better than what God has given us, the following can creep into our lives. And the first thing that can creep into our lives is bitterness. We can become bitter at God. Thinking that God has shortchanged us. Thinking that God has done us wrong. God has not done us wrong. Psalm 107 verse 1, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for 
He is good. His mercy endureth forever. God is always going to be good to us. God is going to bestow His grace and mercy because that is who He is. But be careful that we don't fall into the thought process to where I think I deserve better because that's me putting my place in, instead of God. That's me putting me in the place of God. That I think God could do a better job. I can't do a better job than God. You can't do a better job than God. Resentment can, can flow into our lives where we start resenting where we are except praising the Lord for the day that He has made. And ultimately with bitterness and with resentment, we can become angry at God, angry at others, angry at ourselves, angry at our situation, angry at life, and just have a personality that's filled with anger. And I've seen many people that way. When you have bitterness and resentments and anger in your life, you start to block the blessings of God in your life, and you start to block the favor of God in your life, and you start to block the power of God in your life. And the last thing that I want to do, and I believe by you being here this morning, the last thing that you want to do is to block God's blessing in your life, or to block God's favor in your life, or to block God's power in your life. I pray every day for God's blessing and favor on my life and on my family and on my ministry. I pray for God's power to be evident. I don't want to get bitter at God. I don't want to get resentful to God. I don't want to get angry at God. Because when I do those things, I lose. It's a no-win situation. We must realize that instead of complete destruction, which all of us deserve, I mean, we all deserve hell, if not for God's grace and mercy. But we must realize that instead of complete destruction, we have been recipients of God's mercy and grace, and as I've already read, we have a nail in His holy place. Like I said, not outside, not nearby, but we have a nail inside His holy place letting us know that in Jesus Christ we're safe, in Jesus Christ we're secure, we're protected by Him, and we belong to Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord for that. This is the proper mindset to have as children of God is to be aware and appreciate our situation that it's all by God's mercy and God's grace. When we have that proper appreciation of our situation, then God gives us spiritual sight. And that spiritual sight is given to us by God. And it's, it's a wisdom that surpasses the wisdom that we can gain from this earth and through education and through knowledge. It's a wisdom that can only come from God through the Holy Spirit, to a child of God. And I believe those that have been saved for a period of time understand what I'm saying. There is a wisdom, there is an understanding that comes to a child of God through the Holy Spirit that you cannot learn in a book except this book. You cannot learn in the educational process. It comes from a relationship and fellowship with God the Father. And having an appreciation for our situation gives us that spiritual insight. It's Holy Spirit guidance. 
we start to see things as God sees them. And that's a big change from our fleshly sight to seeing things as God sees them. And so understanding and appreciating our situation, my friends, that we have been recipients over and over and over and over again of God's grace and mercy. And appreciating where we are by God's grace and mercy allows us that spiritual sight, that wisdom, that understanding, that Holy Spirit's guidance so that we can see things as God sees them. That allows us, thirdly, to have a little revival. Now, we tend to want big changes and big movement, don't we? That's typical. In football, which I enjoy watching most of the time, depends if my team's winning or losing, but uh, I can get in the flesh real quick with a football game. Just being transparent with you. But when my team is on their own 10-yard line and they have 90 yards to go, to get a touchdown, you know what I want to see? I want to see a play that goes 91 yards. That's what I want to see. I don't necessarily want to see a methodical march down the field two, three, four yards at a time that takes forever with a lot of nerves involved getting down to the touchdown zone. I want to see it all at once. A big play. In baseball, we like to see the home run, the big play. Obviously, in hockey, you want to see the goal, a big play. And in life as general, we typically want to see when change is needed, we want to see big changes or big movement. But this is not typical for life. If you look, and you can see this in the Bible in regards to knowledge, you know, there's a saturation point when it comes to knowledge. I know many of those that teach in here understand that a person can only absorb so much at one time. In John chapter 8, verse 2, don't turn there, let me just read it for you. It talks about Jesus going to the temple to teach. And he says, and early in the morning, he came again. He came again. That means he went to the temple one time, he went a second time he went again, and he went again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he, saw, he sat down and taught them. He understood there was a saturation point that he had to teach them little by little. You start with your basic uh, math. And you build to, you know, you build from one plus one to one minus one to one times one to your division, uh, to your pre-algebra, to your algebra, to your geometry, you build to trigonometry, you build to calculus, you build to higher levels of math. Little by little, you're building. That's what Jesus did as he taught. He came again to the temple, little bit this time, a little bit the next time, a little bit more, a little bit more, building on what he had taught previously, because there's a saturation point. You also see this with the nation of Israel when they came into the land. I won't have you turn there, but in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 22, it talks about them conquering the land. 
And God says in Deuteronomy 7.22, instead of you taking over the land in one big swoop, I'm going to allow you to take it over little by little. Little by little. We're, they're talking about slow, progressive movement. And that's what we need in our spiritual lives today. A little reviving. Not necessarily a big change right off the bat, but a little by little by little by little. I go to several, what we call them in medicine, they're called subacute rehabilitation centers. I go to four of them now during the week. And I take care of people that have had knee replacements, hip replacements, bypass surgery, some type of surgery or illness that they've had. They're not sick enough to be at the hospital, but they're not well enough to be at home yet. So they go to a rehabilitation center, and I take care of them medically there. And typically, especially with the knee replacements and the hip replacements, and for those that have had those done, you'll understand even more what I'm talking about. I'll see the person on day one, and then I'll see them three, four days later to see how they're doing, and they'll say, Dr. Crabb, I don't feel like I'm progressing. I don't see any major improvements. And my message to them is don't expect big steps of improvement from day to day. Expect, and this is exactly what I tell them, baby steps of improvement from day to day. In fact, expect progress that you may not even realize from one day to the next, but a week from now, you'll look back and say, oh my soul, I have progressed. The progression was slow. I didn't even notice it sometimes, but as I look back over a week, as I look back over 10 days, I can see the progress that has been made, and that's what we're talking about, slow progressive movement, day-to-day -day slow positive movement, and that's what we need in our Christian walks today, probably all of us, is a little reviving. A little reviving. A little bit more Bible. A little bit more prayer. Not to where you're reading your Bible five, ten minutes, and then, all, and then all of a sudden you're reading it an hour, which is fine if that's how God leads, but go from five to ten to fifteen minutes. Go from praying five minutes a day to seven minutes a day or ten minutes a day. A slow, progressive movement towards the positive a little reviving, that's what we need in our lives today. All of us probably need a little reviving, a little bit more teaching of the Word of God, a little bit more preaching, a little bit more church than what you're doing now, just a little bit more, a little bit more thought and reflection or meditation or memorization on the Word of God, a little bit more time involved in church in the ministries of church. Just a little bit more. A little bit more surrender. A little bit more of encouraging other believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. A little bit more sensitivity to the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Instead of the status quo, my friends, have a little bit more sensitivity to the Word of God as it is taught and as it is preached. A, a little bit more passion for the things of God. A little bit more spiritual insight. A little bit more spiritual hearing. A little bit more responsiveness to the things of God. Just a little bit more. Just be desirous of a little revival. A little revival today. 
a little revival tomorrow, a little revival the next day, a little revival the next day. And all of a sudden, six months, you'll look back, and even though they were little baby steps of revival, you'll look back and say, whoa, what great things God has done in my life. Maybe a little less criticism. Isn't it easy to criticize? It's easy to criticize. It's easy to condemn. But a little, a little less criticism. A little less negativity. A little less unfaithfulness. A little less casualness. Just ask God this morning for a little revival. A little revival. Several years ago, when Linda and I lived in Michigan, we just had our son George, so it's been 23 years ago. We lived in a two-story house, and the bedrooms were upstairs. George was just weeks old, so he was still in a bassinet in our room at the time. And it was approximately 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning. And we were sleeping. And we heard a loud crash consisting of what we thought was glass breaking and things falling to the ground. We both woke up immediately and looked at each other. I'm looking at her, go down and check it out. I'm not dumb. You go first. I'll pray for you. She looked at me, wanting male leadership. I figured, okay, I guess this is my time. While we're looking at each other, because, you know, things are happening in a split moment. While we're looking at each other, you know, trying to process what's going on. Because it's, it's not, did you think you heard this? Did you think you heard that? It, it wasn't, do you think you heard it? It was, what was that that we heard? Glass breaking, things like they were falling to the ground. So I told Linda, I, I said, get George and get him behind the bed between the bed and the wall, and get down and hide. And I got my trusty 357 out, which I believe every born-again Bible-believing individual should have something of that nature. That's where I stand on the issue. So I got my 357 out, and all along, I mean, a terrible amount of noise is happening in our downstairs. I'm thinking as I grab my gun, I cannot believe this is happening to Linda and I. Someone has violently broken into our home downstairs and is trashing our first floor. I thought in my mind, again, things are happening, you know, just going by uh, second by second. I'm thinking it could be someone on drugs that didn't care what they were doing, broke in, and are looking for money or looking for things that they could take and sell for their drugs. So I exit the bedroom, and we have a hallway that leads to the stairs. 
our bedroom was completely opposite where the stairs would be that took you from the second to first floor, first floor to second floor. So I'm there with my gun, and I know you think I'm all strong and stoic and brave, but I'm creeping along that hallway, little baby steps, thinking to myself, I can't believe this is happening to us. You never think it's going to happen to you. As I get about halfway between our bedroom and the staircase, we had our light on downstairs, one of the lights at the end of our stairs, you know, where the stairs begin, there's a light. We had that light on just in case we had to go down there at night. So it was casting light up the, the stairwell. I'm walking gently towards the stairs, and I see on the wall of the stairs a shadow moving this way, upwards. I say to myself, George, I cannot believe I'm going to have to defend my family and kill somebody. I mean, I had that thought. I said, I can't believe I'm going to have to shoot somebody. They're stupid enough to come up the stairs and confront me, and I'm going to have to take this gun and actually at least try to end someone's life because they've broken into my house. And so I get my gun ready in position. I'm scooching forward. The shadow's coming up. And believe it or not, you know what it was? It was a raccoon. A raccoon had come down our chimney. And believe me, devastated our family room. Linda had old... Uh, old... Uh, lantern lamps that were on our uh, mantle of our fireplace that were filled with the oil and very old and the raccoon had walked across the mantle tipping them over going onto our fireplace that was the glass sound of glass being broken and all that oil being spilt all over uh, the raccoon devastated our family room just terrible that's what all the noise was about now, I didn't shoot the raccoon. I wanted to, but I didn't want to clean up the mess afterwards. So with help from my family, we, got, we scared that raccoon out of the door. But you know what? That little animal changed my life completely. I think I have PTSD from that still today. <laughs> I still go to therapy every day. <laughs> but for the longest time, that disrupted my sleep. Because realize, until I realized it was a raccoon coming up the stairs, I had already made up my mind I was going to defend my family even to the death. But that little animal, how it changed my perception. You say, that's not that big of a deal. Believe me, it was a big deal. That little animal. I ask you this morning, spiritually, how about a little revival? A little revival, my friends. No more coming in and leaving 
the same way. But coming in one way and leaving more like Jesus Christ. I'm not asking you to make a big decision today. Oh, he wants to change my life completely. No, I don't. Jesus does. But I, you know how it can happen? It's just a little bit at a time. One day to the next, a little baby step, like I said, more Bible, more prayer, more teaching, more preaching, more church, more devotion, more responsiveness, more tenderness, more passion, just a little bit, day in and day out. And I'm going to tell you, six months from now, you'll look back and you'll be amazed at what God can do by just a little, just a little reviving. That's what Ezra was praying for. And I pray that you'll do the same this morning. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word this morning. I pray that it fell upon understanding ears, that you would help all of us as children of God decide this morning that we want a little reviving, a little bit more of you than we had yesterday, and tomorrow a little bit more than we had today. Just a little reviving. And Father, I believe as we desire this, that you will give it to us in our lives today. Father, we pray that if there be someone here this morning that does not know Jesus Christ, that they would come forward during this time of invitation, that they would take one of us, woman with woman, man with man, so that we can share with them through the Word of God how they can know for certain they're a child of God on their way to heaven, secure forever in what Jesus Christ has done for them. So, Father, work in that heart this morning, if there be one here this morning like that. So, Father, as we have this time of invitation, I pray that your will would be accomplished, that you would move in hearts this morning, that all of us would make a decision to have a little reviving today. And through all of this, we want to give you the thanks for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you for your love and your forgiveness. May your will be done during this time, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. If you would like to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, why don't you do it right now? It's simple, really. Here's a couple of Bible verses that'll help you to understand. Probably the most well-known verse in all of Scripture is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That verse says, whosoever believeth. The whosoever is you. But the whosoever believes what? Number one, you need to understand that you are a sinner. God says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Number two, you need to understand that nothing that you can do, getting baptized, belonging to a church, going to a church, donating money, while all good things, they will not satisfy a just God. God says in Titus 3.5, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to God's mercy, he saved us. And number three, you need to understand that Jesus died for your sins. He was buried and resurrected the third day. And if you believe that, God promised in Romans 10, 9, 
that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Your prayer of confession could go like this. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner unworthy of your mercy, but ask for your mercy and your forgiveness. I know I can't get to heaven on my own, but I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He was buried and resurrected the third day that I might be saved and have a new life. Save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you ask Jesus to save you, would you do me a favor? Let us know so that we can pray for you and rejoice with you. Our church phone is 239-947-1285. The website is www.gospelbaptistchurch.com or go to iTunes podcast at gospelbaptistchurch.com.